Welcome. It is week four of our series, Home Field Advantage. We've been talking about sports a little bit lately. We just had the Olympics, and it's preseason for football. If you're an Orioles fan, I'm sorry. Tough time right now, but they still play in a great stadium. It's still fun to go watch them, right? There is something about being together in the same place, in the same stadium, field, court, that we can all be in it together, we can cheer for our team, we can give them a better chance of winning. And we have that same sort of home field advantage here at Nativity. This is where we stand the greatest chance of winning. And a win to us is when someone takes their next step in faith. And if you want to take your next step in faith, if that's you today, we would love to meet you. We have a couple of ways that you can respond. If you are watching online, the best way for you to respond and let us know that you're new or relatively new around here is to send us a text message. You can text the word WELCOME to 410-216-5534. You can get a gift sent to you. We'll capture a little bit of your info and then tell you more about Nativity. Or if you're here in person, we have our Welcome Center on the concourse. So be sure that you visit after we're finishing here today. Either way, we're glad that you are with us today. Well, as I was getting ready for the message this week, it made me think back to a little more than a year ago when we were just coming back to doing live masses here in the sanctuary. And I was scheduled to give the message that week as well. And I was getting ready. It was about 7.30 on Sunday morning. I needed to be at church at 8 for our first meeting. And I was trimming my beard using an electric razor with an adjustable head. And I thought, I should trim my eyebrows too. You can see where this is going. So I adjusted the head on the razor, and I trimmed the eyebrow, and I thought, oh, that was a little bit more than usual. I must not have trimmed them for a while. And I looked into the mirror and realized I was down to one eyebrow, which is really good when you're going to be on camera in about an hour. So then I went into crisis mode, and I thought, well, it's better to have no eyebrows than one eyebrow. So I shaved the other one off, and I thought, okay, what's my next step? I'll call Kelly Caddick from our staff. Kelly, SOS, I just shaved my eyebrows off. Do you have something that you can bring me to fix the situation? So I didn't know it then, but I was asking for an eyebrow pencil. I found that out later. So Kelly came and saved me. But I wasn't out of the woods because I had to go to our meetings before mass, our production meeting. And this was the time when everybody was wearing a mask. So. Evidently, nobody really noticed, because I went through the meeting and it was fine. Kelly drew the eyebrows on. Nobody said anything <laughs> that Sunday. Um, but I still had the most humbling part of this whole experience come, because I had to go to Walgreens to buy myself something to get me through the next couple of weeks while my eyebrows were still bald and growing back in. So I walked in, and I never had realized how much makeup there is in the store. And um, I had to go up to the sales associate and say, you know, like, what are we looking at here? Uh, so she showed me, and there's different shades. I learned a lot about makeup that day. Um, but I ultimately ended up ordering something online, and that got me through the next couple of weeks. So if you ever run into that situation, you'll know how to solve it. Um, I did learn quite a few things, as you usually do when you make mistakes. I learned to make sure that the razor head is adjusted to the right number before I hit my eyebrows, to so not shave them quite so close. I learned that I have friends who can rescue me when I'm in a tight spot. And most of, important of all, uh, I learned that when I'm lost, 
It's okay to admit my mistake, to not worry about covering it up, and to receive the guidance that I need. Because I was definitely lost. <laughs> and that's really what we've been talking about these last couple of weeks, is the lost. We've been journeying through the parables in Luke 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then we've been looking at the lost son, the prodigal son, these last couple of weeks. And reaching the lost is really core to our vision as a church. We want to be a church that people who don't like church like. We want to be a church for the lost. Tom reminded us that if we believe in Jesus, we have a responsibility to invite others, to reach the lost. We're entrusted with that. We aren't responsible for the faith of others, but we have the greatest news in the world to be able to share. How somebody responds to that is their responsibility, but ours is to invite we can invite the lost. Before I go any further, I just want to take a moment to define what it means when we say the lost, because we do use that phrase often. And the lost people are lost people, the lost are people that you know and love. They're your fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, daughters, coworkers, teammates, and friends. Everyone has someone in their life that they hope can rediscover their faith. They may be good people. They may be great people. They may be caring for their loved ones and working diligently and volunteering in our community. The lost aren't lost because they're bad people. The lost are lost because they lack direction. They lack God's direction. And in fact, that is every single one of us at different points in our life. We can all be lost. But it's where we look for direction when we're lost that makes all the difference. We want to help each other to find our way. We want to bring each other into relationship with the living God so that as the lost, we can receive God's direction and we can receive the encouragement, the inspiration, the redemption that our loving Father wants to give to us. So if there's one thing that we know about the Father and that we're discovering throughout this series, it's that he is waiting and watching for the lost to come home. And when a son or daughter does come home, the father rejoices and celebrates. We know that because of the father's response to the prodigal son. We've established that this son went to the father and demanded his inheritance. He said basically, Father, I disown you. I don't care to know you anymore. I don't want to talk to you. I just want my money. So give that to me and get out of my life. And amazingly, the father said, Yes, here you go. What kind of father would do that? Well, our father does that for us. He gives us free will, absolutely free, no conditions. It's all ours. And when it becomes the son's, well, he squanders it away. He seeks after every kind of pleasure until the money dries up and he comes home expecting to beg. And instead, this is what happens. When he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, an important aspect here is that the son started the journey. He has taken those first few steps. He's come part way. He's on his way home, head down, dirty, out of money. He's humiliated, and he's rehearsing this horrible conversation that he's about to have with his dad. And just as he comes into sight... His father spots him from a long way off, from a long way off. That means that his dad didn't just spot him by chance. It wasn't a lucky glance. 
He was waiting for him. A father who had every reason to disown this son who shouldn't have allowed him back into his life. Not only would he allow him back into his life, but he was waiting for him. And he couldn't wait for him. He runs to him. And in this society, running was not something that distinguished men did. That was something for kids. It wasn't for stern fathers to be doing. He goes and he runs to him. And to be able to run, he would have had to take his long robe and fold it up and expose his legs, which was an affront in this society. So this father is foregoing every social grace. He's running to him. He was waiting for him. He's exposing his legs, and he practically tackles him to show him how much he loves him as the son comes. And the son is greeted by this, and he's shocked. Everyone is shocked, because this is not how the father is supposed to respond. This is not socially acceptable. This is not what's supposed to happen. And ultimately, it is not what the son deserves. And that's why the son, even though he's shocked, well, he tries to go forward with his plan for restitution. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. So the son says this. It's well rehearsed. It's heartfelt. But the father is basically moved beyond this already. The father is just ready to celebrate. He is ready to redeem his son. And so he just continues on. But his father ordered his servants quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. The son came back home hoping maybe he could grovel and work his way back into a job. He was willing to eat with the pigs if it actually meant he had food to eat. But before he can get any of that out, before he can even say it, the father puts the finest robe on him, which surely would have been the father's robe. The son is not only forgiven, He's restored. He is part of the family again. He's given a ring and sandals, and he's cleaned up while the entire town is invited to come celebrate his return. Meat was an expensive delicacy, and the finest meat was the fattened calf. So the son's jaw just had to drop as he watched gesture after ridiculous gesture from the father, showing how much he loved him and welcomed him back. Like Jesus on the cross, the Father's love preempts his apologies. The Father's love is endlessly available. It precedes our sin. We don't even have to look for it. For the Son was lost and has been found. We were lost and have been found. God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin or wrongdoing. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've deliberately oppressed or hurt people or how much you've abused yourself. The younger brother knew that in his father's house there was food to spare, but he found out there was also grace to spare. The father watches for us. He waits for us. He runs to us. He embraces us, and he clothes us anew. Jesus tells us that the father pounced on his son in love, not only before the son had a chance to clean up his life or to show his change of heart, but even before he can recite his his repentance speech. Nothing merits the favor of God. Nothing. 
The Father's love and acceptance are absolutely free, which is good news because we are all prodigals at points in our lives. That's why we go to confession. That's why I'm sorry are two of the most powerful words that we can speak. And that's why being here among prodigals is so important. Because we are all prodigals, we need to be found. And given that you are here today, I would venture to guess that there is a person or a few people in your life who have helped you along the way, who you could point to and say, they helped me find my father. If you can say, I was lost and I have been found, it's likely due to one or a few people in your life who embraced you like the Father, who showed you the same lavish grace, the grace that we can only give with God's help. And so as a church, we want to turn around and show that extravagant, unmerited grace to the lost among us, to the people that we love. The prodigal son started on his way not knowing what would happen, and that allowed the Father to spot him from a long way off. We can be a step back towards home for people. And that's why we ask you, if you've been here for a while, to serve. Because we want you to be part of the redemption story of others. That's why we have all of these ministry teams. That's why our parking team welcomes people from far off. It's not just to get the cars in between the lines, but it's to show we are ready for you, we are expecting you. That's why if you log in online, we have chat hosts there to greet you. Or when you walk up to our church There is a greeter there to open the door for you. They aren't just saying hi, but they're making you feel welcome and known as you enter your father's house. And that's why we have hosts and a creative tech team and an ops team that help create an irresistible environment. They aren't just making us feel comfortable, but they're helping us to experience and encounter the father's love. That's why we spend so much time on the message and the music and the worship experience. It's not just to be funny or memorable. It's to move our hearts and minds so that God's wisdom and grace can take root in us. And that is how we try to be a church for the lost. Because if we can help someone to take a step or a two or more toward home, we know the Father will come running. That's what God did when he sent Jesus to us. That's what the Father does when he appears to us through Jesus and the bread and the wine that becomes the Eucharist. That's what God does when he uses the words and the actions and the people around here to communicate his love. And we, we get to be a part of that. This is our home field. This is where the Father is on the lookout. It's where we root for each other. And you get to be a part of that embrace of pointing people toward that. So what difference would it make If each one of us, everyone listening here today, were to invest, to make a conscious choice in investing in one person, what difference would it make if we simply built a friendship, we rooted that person on, we spent time with them? And then over time, what difference would it make if we kept watch like the Father and when the moment was right, we invited them to church? The lost are people that you know and love, your fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, Daughters, coworkers, teammates, friends, all of us have people in our lives that we wish would rediscover their faith. If we really love them, the most important thing that we could ever give them or offer them is an invitation to a relationship with Jesus and a place, a community that they can come to to be reminded 
and that they can find him again and again. So I want to get specific and concrete. This is more than a one-time invitation. If you're somebody that loves to rave about church and you talk about it all the time, that's great. But what I'm talking about is an investment in one person who doesn't have a church home and when the time is right, to take that opportunity to invite them. And to invite them not just to church, but ultimately you're inviting them to something much bigger than that, to a relationship with the living God. And I want you to specifically start with a conversation this week. Start by listening. Talk to someone in your life who's lost and seek to find where they're coming from. So start there with a conversation. And here's what I mean about specific and concrete. I have spoken about my dad a few times before, and he is one of my best friends. He's formed me, he taught me about life. But here's something I haven't shared about him before. My dad, faith is a challenge for him. He's been hurt by church and by church people before. Prayer has never come easily for him. And he is a science guy. He loves the experiments and the repeatability of science. It's hard to replicate that in the spiritual realm. You can't quantify it as much. And yet, we've had some long and difficult conversations about God and faith in the church. The past year, my dad started watching Nativity with my mom each week. He joined a starting point group. And through these little steps, for the first time that I can remember, my dad spoke positively about church. He started asking the difficult questions that were in his mind about God and challenging us. And he's honest. If it still hinges on Jesus and his resurrection, he's not sure that he's a believer yet. But I've seen him take these small steps toward home. From experience, from what we read today, I know that the Father is watching and waiting for my dad. And I know the Father is watching and waiting for your loved ones too. So, Let's make sure that they get close enough for the Father to spot them, even if they are still a long way off. Let's pray. Father, you watch for us. You long for our return. We prodigals. Thank you for your unmerited grace that welcomes us back. Help us to share that grace with the people we want in our lives to know you. Help us to be a step toward home for them. And help us always to return knowing that we can't earn it, we don't deserve it, but your love is always available to us. We pray in the name of love itself, Jesus Christ. Amen.